All right, since we do not have a chair or a vice chair this evening, we're going to have to take a motion on electing a temporary chair for the evening. Second. Uh, I second. All right. Yeah, take a call. All right, on the motion to have Commissioner Yee chair the meeting tonight. Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Aye. Commissioner Walker is aye. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. And Commissioner Yee? Uh, yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. The motion passes. Okay. Thank you very much, there. Uh, let's call the first item. Line item one, weekly officer recognition certificate. Presentation of an officer who has gone above and beyond in the performance of their duties. Sergeant Robert Trujillo, star number 928, Community Violence Reduction Team. Good afternoon, Chief, Commissioners, Director Henderson. I'm Noah Mallinger, Captain of the Department's Strategic Investigations. It's my privilege to introduce you to Sergeant Robert Trujillo. Sergeant Trujillo has been in the San Francisco Police Department for over 17 years. In 2014, Sergeant Trujillo joined the Investigations Bureau and began working on organized crime cases, and he still does so today. Sergeant Trujillo specializes in crimes that predominantly occur in the Mission District. He has investigated hundreds of violent crimes, including but not limited to homicide, shootings, stabbings, robberies. Sergeant Trujillo has earned the recognition as one of the foremost experts on Marisalva Trucha or MS-13 in the state of California and routinely works with other local, state, and federal agencies in the investigation, apprehension, and prosecution of MS-13 gang members. Sergeant Trujillo is an instructor at the Robert Presley Institute of Criminal Investigations, teaching a course on informant management. He teaches a San Francisco Latin gang course at the San Francisco Police Academy and regularly travels throughout the Bay Area to teach an MS-13 gang course. In 2018, Sergeant Trujillo traveled with law enforcement officers from across the country to the FBI Transnational Anti-Gang Unit in El Salvador. While there, Sergeant Trujillo studied current gang trends on both a local and international level. He worked with investigators, prosecutors, and analysts, and interviewed active MS-13 gang members while he was there. Sergeant Trujillo also takes time out of his busy schedule to teach cadets in the SFPAL program. Sergeant Trujillo has become an extremely successful investigator due to his tenacity, intelligence, and superior work ethic. He has also dedicated his career to paying forward the tremendous experience and knowledge he has gained to new officers and investigators in this city and well beyond that. Providing this vital information has helped officers stay safe in the day-to-day -day work they do in the streets and also brought violent crime investigations to a successful end. He's increased the safety for all those who live in, work in, and visit the city of San Francisco. Rob? Sergeant uh, Trill, do you want to say a few words? Sure. As an investigator, um, I think each day I come to work, I'm very lucky to work with the colleagues that I have. Um, my job is based on teamwork, and the team that I work with and I've been working with for the last nine years has allowed me to be successful in my investigations. 
and along as an investigator working with patrol, you know, patrol is the backbone uh, of this department and they really help with investigators and helping them solve crimes and, and obtaining evidence. And I think it's a, a team effort um, in everything we do. And I, I thank you guys and thank you to police commission for, for recognizing me as an investigator. Thank you. Uh, Acting Chief uh, David Lazar. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Yee. I just also want to commend and really applaud Sergeant Trujillo for all the work that you do in the department. And I know your work saves lives as you get guns off the street and as you uh, apprehend those that commit a lot of harm in our community. Uh, thank you very much for what you do each and every day. And um, I also want to acknowledge uh, Deputy Chief Rob O'Sullivan, from, Rob O'Sullivan from the Investigations Bureau, thank you for being here. Thank you, Captain Mallinger. And last, thank you to the Commission. I know this is a fairly recent uh, item that we have started with recognizing, starting off the Commission by recognizing our members, and it goes a long way, and they're very, very grateful for all the recognition that they have been receiving. So thank you for that as well. Thank you very much there, uh, Acting Chief uh, David Lazar. I'd like to call up uh, Commissioner Deborah Walker. Um, congratulations, uh, Sergeant Trujillo. Um, you know, the work you do matters to all of us. I've been living in the mission for since 1981, and um, you keep our neighborhood safe. So I really appreciate it. I know the work you do in investigations um, is, is important to us, but also to the public. You know, they come here a lot. People come here a lot and talk about how important it is to solve these cases and to you know, to make sure that we keep our streets safe. So thank you for the work you do, all of you, uh, in that capacity. Really appreciate it. Yeah. And again, uh, thank you very much to Sergeant uh, Trillo for all you've done to keeping us safe um, day in, day out. And thank you again, uh, Deputy Chief uh, Robert Sullivan and then the Captain. Thank you. Picture. Yeah, picture. Public comment? For members of the public who would like to make public comment regarding line item one, please approach the podium. And there is no public comment. Thank you very much there, Sergeant Youngblood. Uh, let's go to item number two. Line item two, general public comment. At this time, the public is now welcome to address the commission for up to two minutes on items that do not appear on tonight's agenda, but are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the police commission. Under police commission rules of order during public comment, neither police nor DPA personnel nor commissioners are required to respond to questions by the public, but may provide a brief response. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in either of the following ways. Email the Secretary of the Police Commission at sfpd.commission at sfgov.org. Our written comments may be sent via U.S. Postal Service to the Public Safety Building located at 1245 3rd Street, San Francisco, California, 94158. If you'd like to make public comment, please approach the podium. My name is Karina Velasquez. I live and work in the city. Based on my observations of commissioners' comments and opinions, I have concluded that most of you advocate for criminals by unreasonably restricting basic police policing practices and thereby reducing the consequences of crime. In doing so, you may believe you are helping people of color in particular, but the truth is you are ignoring the people of color 
who more often than not are the victims of crime. So to make a point in the hopes that you stop making such mistake, with me today are undocumented victims of recent violent crime in the city of San Francisco. They are taking time of their super busy life to thank the police officers because they were there when they needed it the most. And also, we are here to state that our police officers are fully trained and have real world experience, so they don't need restrictions imposed by an elected and untrained group of 11 civilians. Finally, this body doesn't seem to understand or doesn't value the urgency for safety that the people of San Francisco are demanding because when you restrict basic police policing practices, you are not only hurting recruitment efforts for a severely understaffed Good evening, commissioners. My name is J. Connor B. Ortega, and I am co-president of Iconic D3 in my District 3. I am here because this commission, like the Board of Supervisors, only gets face time by lunatics who demand that you placate their hunger to see the general public at the mercy of criminals. Me, a working class resident, and the majority of San Francisco depends on the police to do their job they are sworn to do, to protect and serve the community. What prevents them from being able to do their job is a board who plays with their funding and this commission who constantly restricts their ability to keep criminals at bay. Constantly, our city is put on full embarrassmental display to the country and the entire world of the lawlessness in our city and that this commission contributed to. And because the people are only the ones affected by it, I say enough. Originally, I was planning to speak on a proposed item by this commission where you all wanted to restrict SFPD from chasing down criminals, but thankfully, I don't see it. And I'm hopeful you all caught wind of the storm you all were gonna get. But like I told the Board of Supervisors yesterday, Please get comfortable at seeing my face and hearing my voice because we, the city of San Francisco, are no longer going to allow public officials to write decrees unchallenged. But as always, I want to thank the men and women of our San Francisco police force. You do a job that none of us can do. Thank you. Good evening. Um, the last meeting I attended about the Hill Bomb was truly disappointing. At that meeting, two competing but important narratives deserved your full attention, public safety and the rights of minors upon arrest. Combining them into one unruly discussion shortchanged them both. One meeting exclusively for the parents of juveniles would have allowed their legitimate and real concerns to be heard. 
Inviting Chief Scott to explain his department's actions instead of interrogating him about them might have led to a more productive healing conversation about solutions for improvement and policy changes moving forward. You could and should have been something akin to mediators, but instead you begged parents to file complaints with the DPA. A separate meeting should have been held for the general public and residents near Dolores Park who were justifiably horrified about the non-skating mob's mayhem and destruction. Concerned citizens who understand the societal value of the rule of law deserve to have you address why you seemed only mildly bothered by the defacing of public property, endangerment of muni passengers, and assault of our police officers. This commission barely touched on those aspects of that evening, focusing almost exclusively on blaming the police for executing the known consequences of illegal behavior. In lieu of demonstrating unbiased concern for all parties involved, this commission chose to allow the verbal abuse of Chief Scott and every speaker supporting the police and the enforcement of our laws, myself included. Your bias was significant and wholly obvious. Most public officials would have levied consequences, such as ejection from the meeting for such aggressive and inappropriate behavior. You were dividers, not uniters. Commissioners like yourselves, who hold the premise that arrest, incarceration, and being held accountable for one's actions are never acceptable, by definition, will never be unbiased and will always be a threat to public safety and our rule of law. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Surbi. I'm 30 years of age, and I'm a proud resident of SF. On 6th of August, I was walking towards my home, and at the crossing of 4th and Mission Street, I was assaulted unprovoked by two women who pulled my hair delivered multiple blows to my face and my hand. They were hurling abuses and racial slurs. They said, go back to where you came from. I immediately called 911. It took two attempts and 15 minutes for the cops to arrive, by which time the girls had fled. I was shocked and stunned. Even after living and loving this city and being a permanent resident of this country, I can make no sense of that attack. I came here as an immigrant. I came here to work hard for a better quality of life. There's been no consequence to this violence, even after a month. We have all the evidence. We have photos of those culprits. We have videos. The cops have those on my case file. And yet, no action has been taken, even now. I've been following up consistently with both the law enforcement as well as administration, and everyone's passing the buck. The administration says, we are sorry this happened. Let's escalate to cops. The cops say, we don't have the manpower because the administration doesn't give us the budget. I'm stuck in the middle, and I'm asking for your help. We have the evidence. I'm ready to volunteer my time if you don't have the manpower. Even if your department is short-staffed, there are some viable alternatives, which shouldn't take too long. Why can't we post the photos on social media and ask the public to identify them? As a law-abiding and tax-paying resident of San Francisco, I'm here to urge that we need to do better. We need to do better by our city and our people, including myself. This is not fair. These micro-crimes are forcing high-tax-paying residents, such as myself, to leave the city. This is a serious case of xenophobia and public safety that happened with me. I Hi, my name is Deepika. 
same as my friend Surbi, I came to this country because of opportunities provided to me by uh, the tech uh, space, and now I'm very privileged to be able to run my own company and being able to volunteer my time to help tenants and residents in District 3. But similar to what happened to my best friend Surbi, residents in D3 have faced similar situations, and they do not have the um, courage to come here and speak. I commend my friend because uh, she feels, I think, a lot safer given that she is a permanent resident. But I speak on behalf of two other tenants in D3 who have faced something similar. Racial slurs of go back to where you came from are absolutely not acceptable given that we're in first world Silicon Valley and especially a place like San Francisco, which is supposed to be a haven for people who are more diverse and are coming here to work hard but increasingly we're seeing this behavior, and I wanted to plus one on that because there are more people who are unable to show up, but microcrimes like these are happening and are forcing people to think of their options of leaving the city. We understand there are bigger crimes happening and bigger issues that need to be addressed, but there's gotta be a scalable way to address these microcrimes because it's not fair. Because these are high tax paying residents, do not have any voting rights in this country, but that does not mean they tolerate and put up with behavior like this. Thank you. Is there any other speakers? Uh, good evening, commissioners and uh, AC Lazar and Executive Director Henderson. I'm Deputy Public Defender Brian Cox. Earlier today, I submitted a letter to this body on behalf of the Coalition to End Bias Stops, asking this commission to exercise its powers to end, meet, and confer process regarding DGO 9.07. It appears that the pretext DGO and its data collection provisions can't return fast enough <clears throat> because this morning, a San Francisco standard article identifies an SFPD officer uh, mentioned in the May DPA openness report who appears to have misidentified the race of those he stopped. Quote, the officer allegedly misidentified the races of people he stopped in nearly half of the 50 encounters reviewed by DPA. I have the articles right here. You can all read them. While that's disturbing, what's perhaps the larger issue is how widespread this practice may be within SFPD. The article identifies other officers who appear to have engaged in similar behavior. If officers have been falsifying traffic stop data, the already unacceptable racial disparities will become likely far worse. When I first saw the May openness report, I emailed DPA asking it to conduct an audit. The commission should do the same and direct DPA to audit SFPD's traffic stop data to determine how widespread the practice of falsifying data is within SFPD. Moreover, the commission should explore DPA Director of Policy Kaywood's suggestion to create a working group focused on traffic stop data moving forward. The need for such a working group is underscored by a recent PRA my office submitted to SFPD regarding Officer Michael Shavers. We simply ask for a list of all arrests he has made within the past few years. After diligently searching, SFPD told me that it doesn't keep those records. How can this department not know when and how many arrests an officer has made? The commission has the authority to remedy many of these ills and to start first with exploring all options to swiftly return DGO 9.07 from the meet and confer process. The community deserves no less. Thank you. And the articles are right here in case you haven't read the standard article. Happy to pass it out. So at this time, I want to thank the public for your public comment coming out here and telling us your stories of some of the challenges you have. and some of the violence that you uh, received. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, let's go to item number three.
Item 3, Consent Calendar, Receive and File, Action, SFPD and DPA's 1421 and SB 16 Monthly Report. Motion to receive and file. Second. <clears throat> On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Do we need public comment? Sorry. I'm sorry, you are correct. For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item 3, Consent Calendar, please approach the podium. And there is no public comment. On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Aye. Commissioner Walker is aye. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. You have five yeses. Okay. Line item four, Chief's Report, Discussion. Weekly crime trends and public safety concerns. Provide an overview of offenses, incidents, or events occurring in San Francisco having an impact on public safety. Commission discussions on unplanned events and activities the Chief describes will be limited to determining whether to calendar for a future meeting. Hey, good evening, Commissioners. Assistant Chief David Lazar filling in for Chief Bill Scott this evening. I first want to start <coughs> off by... Um, offering up my condolences to the one uh, young woman here who spoke about what happened to her out at Fourth and Mission. And I'd like, I have Officer Donahue in the back. I would definitely like to get her contact information and we will follow up on her incident, make sure her case is being investigated, making sure all the evidence is collected, the videos and everything we need to do uh, to investigate the case. So thank you for coming to the commission this, this evening to speak about what occurred. Okay, in terms of highlights uh, on behalf of the department, first in the city we have Dreamforce. Uh, this is a very, very large event south of Market. You probably uh, realize that if you drove and got stuck in traffic. Uh, but we have thousands of people from all over the country, if not the world, here in San Francisco. Plenty of officers out, deployed, high visible presence. Uh, I had the opportunity to spend most of my day down at Dreamforce. Very thankful for the officers who are on patrol uh, with their lights on creating a high visibility presence and working to really keep the event safe. So very grateful for that. In terms of crime overall uh, for this week, so crime is down by 3%. However, violent crime is up 3% and property crime is down 4%, but crime overall is down by 3%. Our aggravated assaults are down by 7% and our firearm by firearms down by 9%. Our burglaries are down 7%. Our larcenies down by 6% and our auto burglaries are down by 3%. We do still encourage the public to do everything they can to leave everything out of their vehicles and keep their vehicles empty. We still hear complaints about windows being broken. That is very unfortunate. Um, and we do, absolutely don't want anything stolen. So we have to keep everything out of our vehicles. I think our biggest challenge this year is robberies, which are up 16%. At this time last year, we had 1,646 robberies. Uh, year to date, we've got 1,908. Uh, so we are definitely working on the robberies and having discussions about our strategies and officers are out every day uh, working to apprehend suspects that are involved in robberies. We have had eight, uh, 38 homicides year to date. We had 36 this time last year. And our gun violence is up by 6%, 153 incidences, shootings a year to date. We had one shooting within this last week, which was on Cesar Chavez and uh, 280 northbound. Person was shot and they are in stable condition. Uh, as far as the work we're doing in the Tenderloin through our Drug Market Agency Coordination Center, the officers are doing a tremendous job to address what is happening in the Tenderloin 
We have made 658 arrests for possession for sale or sales year, year to date, um, which is exceeding the, the 500 plus number that we had all of last year. Uh, this week alone, we made 89 arrests, which is very significant, and seized 3,297 grams of narcotics. To put things into persp uh, perspective, year to date, we've recovered 211 pounds worth of narcotics year to date as of today's date. So there are a lot of great, a lot of great work happening there. In terms of some significant incidents I would like everyone to know about, the first being in the Crocker Amazon area on September the 5th, around 5.15 in the morning, there was a person who broke into 12 cars overnight. Uh, officers responded quickly. They um, saw the suspect fleeing on a stolen scooter. They went after and pursued the suspect. There was a brief foot chase, and they apprehended him at Rolf in Cordova. It was a really good arrest, uh, given that we have auto burglaries, and, and we work hard to make those arrests. On the 8th of September, we had a robbery that occurred also in the Excelsior Mission in Excelsior. A victim was robbed at gunpoint, and there were three subjects located at Mission in Russia. With the assistance of the, the Ingleside officers and night investigations, they also were uh, involved in a foot pursuit where they, they, took, uh, they took the suspects into custody. So it was a great work by everyone involved. We've had some challenges at Westfield. Uh, this is something that we continue to work on. Uh, there was a retail theft incident in Westfield where about $75,000 in retail uh, purses and other things were taken. The security was able to recover about 57,000 worth of the, the merchandise. But we are working in Westfield uh, now to the point where we have officers assigned inside Westfield in an, in an effort to really maintain a sense of security for individuals that go and, and shop there. Speaking of Westfield, the day prior to this, so this was September 10th, on September 9th, there was a large fight involving youth inside Westfield. Someone was, uh, one young person was armed with a knife. And um, by the time the officers arrived, everyone had dispersed, but one person who had a knife was still there and he was slightly injured. So again, it just reemphasizes the importance of us being in Westfield. And I know we're doing the same for Stonestown and any of our malls, we need to have presence, a presence now just really to prevent things from happening is really what our strategy is. I wanna tell you about some, some driving incidences and situations. We've had stunt driving uh, occur, also known as sideshows, but we, we refer to it as stunt driving. So on Sunday, September 10th, First in the Geneva Naples area, there were th about 4.26 in the afternoon on a Sunday. We had 30 cars with 80 people watching. Uh, officers broke up that stunt driving event. About a half hour later, uh, we believe the group met up at 22nd and Folsom. At that time, there were 100 plus cars in the intersection. Uh, vehicles were driving at high rates of speed. We had our officers respond to that as well. We broke up that group. And then we believe uh, on social media, there was another big spot in the Bayview at Quinton Oakdale. Our officers responded out there, 100 plus cars, we were able to break it up. And then finally at 6.30 in the evening, they were at Palace of Fine Arts. Uh, I wanna share with this commission that there was a point in time where we really didn't have a strategy. We didn't really see this big in San Francisco. This was more of a South Bay, San Jose thing. But right around COVID, we started seeing this happen in our city and we developed our stunt driving response unit we put a lot of thought into uh, putting it together. Our former Captain Chernus, who was the captain of traffic, developed a plan that basically um, provides for our presence and flushing folks out 
of areas, and then we work to investigate later on who's involved, and we do the work later to confiscate vehicles. So we have, uh, we have an investigator that does that work full time. Okay, and the last uh, couple things I'd like to mention, we had a couple of bad tra traffic collisions. One was on September 8th near the Golden Gate Bridge at Richardson and Lyon. Uh, a person on a motorcycle was ejected. He's in critical condition. That was on the 8th. On the 10th, uh, at 19th and South Van Ness, 19th and Mission, 19th and South Van Ness, we had a drunk driver that actually hit five people that were in a crosswalk. We took that suspect into custody. And then we had an elderly woman at 46th and Terraval on the 11th of September that was hit. And she uh, unfortunately passed away. The last thing I'd like to say is in terms of staffing right now, the numbers continue to drop. So we're at 1,474 full duty officers. We actually have 72 less officers than we did this time last year, which is very unfortunate. And if we work off of that, that uh, report that we've received on staffing, the 2021 report of 2,182, we're 601 below that, uh, which is really affecting st staffing, deployment, um, workload, and um, officers being tired and, and all those things that affect the workforce. Um, I would like to conclu uh, conclude by um, inviting each and every one of you to a graduation tomorrow night, academy class. Uh, six recruits, six recruits is better than no recruits. We're excited for the six. Uh, we're changing the venue because it's a smaller class to the Lake Merced Boathouse. It's gonna occur at six o'clock tomorrow evening and we would definitely love to have your support for the graduating class. This concludes my, my presentation. Thank you. Thank you uh, very much there, Acting Chief uh, David Lazar. Uh, um, I just have a question on academy classes. How many more do you expect for, I guess, for this fiscal year? So right now we have 25 recruits that are in the academy. Uh, we have another group that's starting in uh, this month. I think it's between 20, between 20 and 30, somewhere around there. I'm not exactly sure. I'm looking at Acting okay. Assistant Chief Walsh. Um, and then our plan is to hire whatever we have budgeted. Right? And so we are gonna do everything we can to recruit and hire. I will say the good news is that we have more applicants, uh, significantly more applicants than we did this time last year. And with this last class starting at around 30 or 31 recruits, that was more than we've seen in three years. So it's going up slowly. Uh, however, it's going to take a time, it's gonna take a while to get us to where we need to be as a city, having adequate police. But thank you. Uh, just a follow up, you know, you have the, the people that apply and they went through the testing. Are you going through the same list or are you having them to retest for the new new classes? Just, just, just out of curiosity. Is that for? Uh, yeah, let's, let's have our acting assistant chief, Pete Walsh. Uh, he's filling in for AC Flaherty to talk a little bit about the, the hiring, I, I will say that the other good news is that we're working to streamline the process so that it doesn't take as long, where we have multiple yeah. tests happening on the same day. Uh, this is something new for us, but whatever we can to be competitive to get people hired as quick as possible. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, thank you, uh, Commission. Um, as far as people who repeat, they can apply again. Uh, we also have people who for 
instance, have injuries during the academy that we bring through uh, in the following academy. So there is, uh, unless you're basically not eligible to be a police officer somewhere in our application process, you can come back and uh, either reapply or again, like I said, using injury as an example, uh, come back and go through the academy. Thank you there, uh, Deputy Chief uh, sure. Peter Wash. Um, I, I guess I have a question about the, the amount of rest that you have out in uh, Tenderloin. Is there any correlation with um, overdose uh, death that has dropped or I guess is, you know, any, any relations to that? Yeah, I, I don't at this moment have the latest numbers on where we are. I know that we were averaging around two overdoses a day. Uh, I know that we also administer Narcan in an effort to save lives, and the officers have done a great job to do that. And we believe that uh, we were going to continue to focus on both sellers and users with the hope that we can connect users with public health and other things available for their addiction. But I don't have that, and it's something that we could uh, look into and definitely get back to this commission on. Thank, thank you very much there, um, David Lazar. Uh, Commissioner Deborah Walker. Thank you for um, your report. Um, I have a couple of, of questions. Um, I'm working with a group of folks. We're working on recruiting. So to that point, um, six in a class, it's, it is better than none. But um, we are working really hard to try and um, deal with the issues of, of like services for recruits or you know, the child care for folks who are, uh, you know, already officers working. I mean, I think everybody uses that. Everybody needs it. And um, keeping our existing staff as well as recruiting is both important. So um, I, I just want to mention one issue that I heard. Um, there's talk about limiting the command staff. Um, when we're in a, in a, a state where we really need to encourage people by uh, promoting them and, and making sure that officers and all the, the different um, command staff have experience throughout the city. I mean, that's what we need more than anything. So um, are, are we taking that seriously? I mean, is there a real effort to do that? Uh, yes. Well, there's the two items that, yeah. that you mentioned. First, uh, recruitment and retention. To your yeah. point, retention is just as important. We yeah. have to be very competitive with other agencies that offer bonuses or they offer yeah. child care or they offer different things to, to really get the workforce to come out and, and be involved in policing. <coughs> and um, we want young people to see this as a very noble profession, the ability to help people, the ability to make a difference. And really, we have to sell this as an important job. So yes, and we have to keep who we have. And thankfully, some people who have left have returned. Oh, good. And we welcome them with open arms and say, welcome back. And uh, we put them back on patrol. So that's, that's important. Um, I, if you could just clarify your command staff question, I'd love to answer. Well, I, I heard from somebody that there's discussions at the board about limiting command staff, and which I think it's probably that's not their business. But <laughs> you know, it's. yeah. I would say that um, the way that we're structured is really, if you think about the reform that we just went through, I mean, that's yeah. a very heavy lift since 2016, 272 recommendations, 90% compliance. If you think about the demands of policing right now, the accountability, 
the fact that we have um, uh, that we that we want to move forward on making sure that we comply with everything we put in play, including use of force and um, all the requirements and investigations. And you know, if you think about the way we're st structured, we're structured so that we have the control and oversight of our department, so that we are complying with policy, so that we are you know not preventing, so that we're working to prevent a scandal. Right. Scandal. So we're working to make sure that that everything is covered. I mean, every single command staff person has a big, yeah. big task, a big to-do list, a lot of work to do. If you think about recruitment, if you think about um, the work in risk management, if you think about the 60 recommendations in community engagement, um, if you think about now all the work we're doing in the tenderloin, we have a commander assigned to that. Uh, just a complete contr command and control structure of our organization is needed in order to move policing forward in San Francisco. Right. And I know the chief has been very vocal about it and he is very articulate about why the structure is the way it is. I know everybody works very hard and um, there's a reason why we're in place the way, the way we are. Yes, and I know, I mean, the, the issues that we've been hearing about from the community about um, the, the response time is taking a while because we are low on officers. Um, there was, an, there was a, um, an article written really highlighting the federal, state, and local partnership, and everyone's putting in money towards uh, expanding those um, partnerships, and um, it seems to be working really well, both on our, our dealing with the issues that you have prioritized in the Tenderloin, um, as well as dealing with the, um, what you call the driving episodes, the, the gang, the, the bomb, the hill bombs, and the, there's a motorcycle bomb, I think, out in the Richmond, and, you know, there's all of those things that happen that take, that take a lot of people um, to respond. So um, are you having a good success with that partnership? Well, yes, in terms yeah. of the, the partnership with our state and federal partners, um, we, I don't think the partnership's ever been better, and we are working really collaboratively to deal with some of our biggest challenges in this city, including the Tenderloin. Uh, as you know, the CHP has been out there doing a tremendous job, and then our federal partners are helping us with narcotic sales and things like that. But, Commissioner, the other thing you're mentioning about response time is you know, we're working to, we're using the overtime that's been provided to us by the Board of Supervisors in order to adequately staff our, uh, staff our stations every single day uh, in order to respond to those 911 calls. I mean, that's one aspect of what we spend the money on so that we improve our response time. I mean, a response time of eight and a half minutes to an A priority is not as good as it was when I was a captain and it was around five minutes. Mm -hmm. So, um, that goes to the whole point about being understaffed. Our folks are working very hard, but we have to do what we have to do in terms of staffing in order to get to calls quickly. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, at this time, I'll turn it back over to our chair, Vice President Carter Opasol. Thanks, Commissioner Yi. Uh, Commissioner Yanez. Thank you, <clears throat> Acting President Carter Oberstow. Uh Quick question about the of recruitment, I believe at some point last year or maybe earlier this year, California uh, freed up the the minimum requirements, right, for hiring, and I believe that they now allow for people who are not necessarily citizens to apply. Are we getting any of those applicants? Are we promoting this uh, uh, new 
you know, opportunity, I guess, and, and are we being proactive about, you know, there's a lot, there are a lot of people out there who, you know, would see this as a viable uh, career for them. Hi, Commissioner. Um, for the recruiting, yes, so that's specifically to uh, permanent residents. Right. Um, and again, they would have to apply like anybody else. It's a pretty new, um, I know the chief and the department came out with a statement uh, saying that we welcomed it. Uh, I don't believe we've gone out to target uh, that recruitment uh, group. Um, we're still kind of concentrating on uh, what, we, what we normally do and expanding that to, to traveling to as far away as to John Jay College to recruit and things like that. But it is uh, something that uh, is available to us. Um, and as we you know, get more into the recruiting groove, we'll definitely you know, look at that aspect. Thank you for that. I mean, I'd encourage, we have a big press unit, uh, you know, press releases and, you know, really, really proactively uh, finding new avenues for recruitment would be helpful, right? Because six recruits is, um, unfortunately, I mean, we got some, but uh, I'm glad that, or I hope we can get more people applying. And just one clarification on the six, just so everybody, those are laterals. So those classes are a little different, like that wasn't directly um, us going out and recruiting a bunch of people who didn't so we've that that is a group of uh, laterals and the other class uh, um, AC Lazar was talking about will start um, I believe at the end of the September uh, I don't have the direct number but we can get you that uh, that will be following uh, this class that's graduating well even lateral poaching whatever it takes right <laughs> Re uh, recruiting recruiting another question uh, I'd asked for for this information last week and the chief uh, said that he would uh, provide an update this week and it has to do with those young people during the hill bomb whose charges were dropped and they were juveniles uh, the chief was unclear about whether their records being cleared was something that automatically happened through probation to the juvenile probation department I'm pretty sure that doesn't happen that way. We have a representative from the Public Defender's Office who can tell us, uh, you know, what it really takes, the clean slate program and all these procedures. But I think that it would behoove us to explore, uh, especially in an instance where over 80 individuals were, you know, arrested and those charges were dropped, that they don't have to go through the procedure of a clean slate program, of an appeal to a judge or whatever that case may be. Do we have that information? Commissioner, I, I do not have that um, on first glance. I will look through my binder to just double check and maybe ask a question, uh, but I don't have that. I know you asked a few questions. I don't have that particular answer at this if, moment. If we can have that answer next week, because it, I've asked it a few times and I know that it shouldn't be that challenging. I mean, it's law or it should be written somewhere, right? Okay, we'll um, do. So that would be really helpful. Um, another, I mean, I before our break, had uh, mentioned the fact that there was an article about the increase in use of force. It was supposed to be agendized for last week and then the use of force conversation went somewhere else last week. Uh, I'd like to know what your comments are, what your opinion is about that fourth quarter report where use of force incidents uh, went up skyrocketed to 25 to 1 for African Americans in comparison to uh, our white residents and 3 to 1 for Latinos and, uh, and our white residents. Do you have any idea why that increase was so sudden? Um, there was also in that report and in that 
document another chart that demonstrated that arrests for white people are actually going down while arrests for black and brown people are going up. Do we have any idea how these, or what is the reason for these uh, increases? Yeah, I haven't had the opportunity to read the report. I didn't um, know that this was gonna be an issue brought up at the commission tonight, but we will definitely be prepared to respond to that question and, and get to the bottom of it. I don't want to speculate and say there maybe there was one particular incident that caused the spike. Uh, I know we got through the change in policy some time ago where the numbers were really up and then right. they came back down uh, because we changed the criteria. But uh, if it's acceptable to you, we will look into it and definitely be able to report back. Please. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Benedicto. Thank you, Acting President Carter Oberstone. Uh, just one note. Uh, th thank you for the report, Acting Chief. Um, I think that we learned, uh, I'd like to congratulate the class that's graduating tomorrow. I've had the privilege of attending, I think, every graduation since I was on the commission. I think due to the change in venue, we learned that they've asked the commissioners not to attend to focus on the family of the, of the recruits. I don't, think, uh, I don't think we made the cut this time, but we do want to express our, our congratulations to, to uh, the, the recruits. Well, you, you did have the invitation from me, so uh, <laughs> I did have you in mind. I didn't know about this, that. I, I, I think we'd reached out. We, we, we can all confer. All are welcome. I'll just say that right now. I'm sitting here today. All are welcome. Thank <laughs> all you. Right. Go rep Russ. <laughs> all right, Assistant Chief Lazar, welcome. It's nice to have you here tonight. Uh, just one question for me, which last week I asked Chief for an update on the, this new uh, initiative that started a couple months ago to arrest drug users more aggressively and ask for the total number of arrests and the number of those arrested who had accepted treatment. And I'm just wondering if we have any updated numbers. Uh, no, no updated numbers. I did provide in my <coughs> weekly report just now about the 89 or so arrests that we made this week, totaling uh, total arrests that involved sellers and both users. Uh, but we will definitely come back to this commission with the with the response, I, I believe, if I understand your question correctly, is is out of all the drug users that we arrest, how many have accepted services or been connected to That's services? That's right. Last week, the total was 467 arrests, two had accepted services. And so I was just wondering if there was any update on either of those numbers. But if, if not, uh, we'll circle back next week. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you, Sergeant. Can we go to public comment? For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item four, the chief's report, please approach the podium. And there is no public comment. Line item five, DPA director's report, discussion. Report on recent DPA activities and announcements. Commission discussion will be limited to determining whether to calendar any of the issues raised for a future commission meeting. Good evening. So this week, I'll start off with our, uh, thank you. I'll start off with our stats. Uh, so, so far this year, we have opened uh, 562 new cases this year. We currently have about 302 cases that are pending. Uh, and of those cases that we have pending, uh, about 22 of them have longer investigations uh, that have investigations that have uh, gone past uh, nine months. And of those 22 cases, 17 of them are told cases, meaning that there are civil or criminal uh, legal issues uh, pausing the tolling of the time for the investigations. 
in terms of the cases that we still have pending decisions. Uh, we have seven cases that are pending decisions with the commission and 87 cases that are still awaiting uh, decisions with the chief. Uh, so in and more of these details obviously are online. I'm not going to go line by line through all of the numbers one by one, but in case folks want more information or want to review that information, it's available on our website. Uh, during the report, I typically review and talk about the number of cases that have come in that week. And so for this week, uh, and talk about the allegations that have come in. Again, these are allegations. Uh, so this week, uh, 29% of the allegations involved uh, allegations that officers either behaved or spoke inappropriately to the public, and 14% of the allegations involved uh, allegations that officers uh, failed to take required actions as requested from the public. The full breakdown of all of the allegations, again, is on our website, but I will focus on just the top ones. Uh, the top allegations in terms of districts this week uh, was Central that had three complaints. Uh, complainants came in uh, addressing complaints in the Central, Central District. Um, and all of the information with all of the precincts, again, is on the website for the Department of Police Accountability. Um. Uh, Director Henderson, thank you for your report. I wasn't done. Oh, I thought that was it. <laughs> no, I was just turning the page on it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know, I know. I was, sorry. I was, okay, you threw me off. Yeah. Okay. I was I was creating a dramatic pause for uh, the rest of the information. Uh, in terms of outreach uh, this week, uh, as an update uh, for last week's announcements, our Community Connect took place. The Mediation Division is going to take, pay, take place on uh, October 3rd from noon to 2. Uh, and that's going to take place on 188 uh, in the Embarcadero. Uh, for folks that are interested in that information, please feel free to reach out to us at dpa.outreach at sfgov.org. Uh, information is already online in terms of how to register if folks are interested uh, in following up with that information. Uh, as, as well as the audits that I mentioned this last week, uh, we're following up on the status of the recommendations made in prior DPA audits uh, regarding SFPD's compliance with DGO 8.10, and we are still currently reviewing documentation provided by the department regarding the destruction of files uh, of investigations governed by DGO 8.10. Uh, we don't have anything in closed session this evening. Present in the courtroom, though, uh, is Senior Investigator uh, Ali Schultes, who is here. Uh, and Allie, if you don't mind following up with the young woman that spoke with us earlier uh, to see if there's some way that we can be helpful with what's been going on with her case as well. She's here tonight if that's helpful for you. Uh, also present uh, this evening is our Director of Recruiting and Hiring, uh, Tanata Thompson, uh, and the Chief of Staff from the office, Sarah Hawkins, and uh, one of the lawyers from our Policy Division, Jermaine Jones. Just making sure I'm not missing any staff. Also one of our interns from the summer, Maddie is here. Unpaid right now, so. 
thank you for being here. For folks that have questions about anything involving the Department of Police Accountability, our website is sfgov.org forward slash DPA. You can also contact us on the phone, 415-241-7711. We have a couple of agenda items on the docket tonight, but I will reserve my conversations until we call those items. Uh, agenda item seven and agenda item eight. I think that concludes my report. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, Commissioner Yanez. Uh, thank you for the report, Director Henderson. I just have one question. I know that I'd previously asked about a five-year analysis and you guys are working that. Really appreciate it. Uh, is this an unusual uh, increase in cases opened in your experience from 22 to 23 through what, three quarters about? Not necessarily, it, it fluctuates on, it's, there's so many different, I think you're asking me why, right. uh, but there's so many different factors that determine uh, the volume of cases that come in and the, the complaints that are being made, the kind of complaints that are being made, and so many things affects those things. Uh, for instance, if something is getting a lot of media or press attention, or there's a big event that a lot of people know about, people observe or have things that they have concerns about that they raise. Uh, more and more, we're growing, uh, broader complaints are coming in from ancillary partners uh, like the Public Defender's Office, uh, the Coalition on Homelessness, uh, the Bar Association, the ACLU, just, it just depends, it's really hard to gauge. Uh, what people are observing or what people are pointing out that are going to be specific issues, but which is part of why we record all of it and it gets turned over to the commission so that you can see weekly in real time what comes into the department for people to evaluate, not just what they're seeing, but even what the allegations are independently of what is being sustained or proven from the investigations as part of discipline. I don't know if that answers the question. It, it does, thank you. Um, and it was kind of an underhand pitch for you to just congratulate your outreach team, oh. but <laughs> thank you for that report. We really try and focus on the uh, agencies uh, and the communities that heretofore weren't connected to governmental agencies that have real concerns, that have restrictions, real or perceived, about speaking to authoritative agencies but want to have a voice to articulate concerns. Very well put. Thank you. Commissioner Byrne. Um, uh, Director Henderson, uh, last week I asked about uh, the number of officers um, that uh, complaints were made about related to the Dolores Hill bombing. You, you did, and I, I had that in my notes and couldn't remember what this note meant, and that's exactly what it meant. And so uh, we talked about that, and I said that I would get a report and submit that some of those details, which I submitted, I think it's going to be discussed specifically uh, in an upcoming meeting. But just to reference that, uh, we talked about uh, the number of complaints and the volume of complaints that translated into allegations that were being made. If I'm not incorrect, because I think I was telling you offline but not publicly uh, from yesterday when I got the, the information from last week that it was six specific complaints but 
between 70 and 80 full allegations. So it was six officers that were complained about? Of, of the no, six, six complainants. Am I saying that right? Well, that, 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 uh, yeah, I'll ask my chief of staff. There were six separate complaints filed. Complainants okay. don't often tie it to a specific officer because they might not know. It might have been several officers. So it was six individual complaints okay. that kind of referenced the whole incident or different aspects of the incident. Right, because, yeah, it was difficult from the meeting that we had to figure out, you know, exactly um, the, the effect. So six complaints have been filed with DPA. Okay. Correct. Thank you. And that number, in terms of articulating the specific number of officers involved, is still part of an, an ongoing right. thing, yeah. and so the number fluctuates. But yeah, you made you made that clear. Yeah. I got that. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they don't. Thank you, Director. Thank you, uh, Director Henderson. Just one question for me. This morning, the Standard published an article um, covering a a disciplinary case brought by DPA against an officer that DPA alleges falsified uh, race data um, when making traffic stops. Um, obviously, certain parts of disciplinary, disciplinary proceedings are not public and can't be discussed, but my question is not about that particular case, but whether DPA and it's uh, what I've heard award-winning audit team um, plans on um, plans on conducting an audit or any investigation to determine whether this was an isolated incident or whether there's more uh, widespread practice and any cause for concern about the integrity of SFPD stop data. Uh, so those are things that uh, we are involved in already and just to give context a lot of that information relates to uh, the RIPA data. That's the the data that's requ that requires law enforcement agencies to provide data to a central database about r the racial makeup of people that are stopped, searched, and detained. Uh, and a lot of these practices outside of RIPA in California are nationwide practices. However, that data, in order to be accurate and helpful, needs to serve its purpose by being accurate. And so we already know that if we have bad information that goes into those recordings, then we get bad data that comes out of those recordings. The rule is that officers have to uh, input the perceived race of the individuals that they've stopped, searched, or detained. Um, nationwide, we've seen this issue come up already, uh, and audits and investigations uh, revealing that officers and jurisdictions have not accurately reported the data that they're required to report about the race of the people stopped, detained, uh, searched. Um, and there's a number of cases I won't go into, but there's a number of states and counties, Louisiana, Missouri, LA County, the state of Connecticut, uh, all involving racial profiling systems. So here in California, it's RIPA, and we have uncovered uh, issues uh, w here in San Francisco with SFPD as well. And again, you alluded to it, but I can't talk about specific cases and specific investigations, but uh, we have conducted investigations and have reviewed open 
data where issues have come up specifically involving proper and accurate entry of this kind of data. And we've seen three basic different type of stop data issues, and those, those discrepancies involve three different types of problems. One, where officers are not entering any data for the stops where they're required to enter data. Two, uh, officers enter the wrong race of the person they've stopped. Uh, for example, a person clearly identified as African-American is identified <coughs> as Caucasian. And three, uh, where officers enter multiple races for the people being stopped to obscure any obvious or specific racial makeup. And so that's what the problem is, and those are some of the issues that we've come across. Uh, and I, I, I know the article was talking about it, but again, the article was very specific in ways that I couldn't, I can't even comment on and can't be specific about. All right, thank you, that's helpful. It sounds, it sounds like maybe there's been some, at least preliminary review of the data that's revealed at, at least some additional issues that warrant further investigation. I did want to invite Assistant Chief Lazar to comment on this at all, if, if you have a comment, only because um, it is my understanding that the department is under an ongoing obligation to audit its own stop data. Um, is is the department regularly, regularly auditing its own stop data? Has it discovered any issues that would call into question the integrity of the data? Yeah, Commissioner, what I can say is that in terms of auditing, one of the things we do is we, we um, our standard operating procedure for auditing is to determine the amount of stops versus the amount of entries to see if there's a discrepancy there in terms of the numbers. For example, just arbitrarily, if you had 1,000 stops, is there a 1,000 data entry? Um, what we're going to need to do is look a little further at this point and do some comparisons based on this information that we have received. Of course, there's an ongoing investigation I can't speak to, but we, we definitely need to, to further that audit to make sure that we're looking at what's being entered versus who's being stopped. So. And so There's will your audit go beyond that issue? Because obviously that wouldn't account for a lot of the other issues being raised in, in the article. So it, your, just to be clear, your audit about looking at number of stops versus number of entries wouldn't detect if an officer was, was recording the incorrect race. So is there going to be an audit to look at all of those different potential issues? Yeah, we're, we're going to have to look at what that uh, workload entails and, and what we need to do. We're also going to have to you know, at minimum do auditing in terms of random auditing to see in terms of the comparisons for the stops and who has been stopped. But yeah, there's more work to be done based on what we're discovering. We have to address it um, and we have to, to make sure that those who are not doing it are held accountable. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that, that we have to address it because I think we have to, I agree we have to address it. And I think I quickly peruse the 2016 DOJ COPS report on my way here, and this is one of the issues covered um, in the report, and in particular at pages 356, 357, it talks about the necessity of thorough, uh, not just thorough audits, but thorough outside independent audits, engaging 
um, academic institutions and other partners who can come in and be a third party to actually verify that outside of SFPD. Um, it doesn't seem like we are following that recommendation. And um, given that these latest revelations, I do think that that would be, I think the commission needs to take this issue up more fully, but I think that needs to be something on the table that we're considering, um, whether it's DPA in an outside organization or bringing in uh, this controller uh, and DPA or you know some combination of that. Um, I think that this is maybe something to be agendized and taken up more fully by the commission. The last thing I'll ask you, uh, Assistant Chief, is there is a unit order on the books requiring periodic auditing 21-01. So to be clear, for members of the public, a unit order is imposed not by the commission, but something that the department imposes upon itself. In this case, um, Captain Eric Altifer signed this unit order on uh, July of 2021. Um, and it does specifically, it talks about the general necessity for periodic auditing, but it calls out three categories, and one of those is the, the stop data, the SDCS data, and the importance of doing quarterly audits. Um, for next commission meeting for the chief's report, I would like the department to furnish the commission with the last year of quarterly audits that were done pursuant to unit order 21-01 so that we can at least review the work that's that's already been completed. Okay, thank you. Great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Director Henderson. Thank you. If, if I can just say, you mentioned you summarized uh, a lot of the stuff. Uh, I would say, though, that, um, you know, DPA, we take this very seriously and the inaccuracy of this data speaks directly to the foundation of the groundbreaking legislation that was aimed at computing these systemic inequities in law enforcement. So I do think that this is something that we should be taking very seriously and really should be focusing on. And you mentioned uh, the possibility of working with the controller's office on an independent sort of audit. Uh, we also uh, are capable of doing such audits with an expanded type of uh, practice. Right now we are uh, near capacity with our charter mandate, charter mandated investigations uh, with both policy and work that we're doing. But I don't want to give short shrift to the option or the opportunity for a partnership with an academic institution or an independent agency as well. And I, I know you mentioned it, but beyond just thinking aspirationally um, about precatory plans, I think it needs to be something that is focused and specific to make sure that something is going to happen specifically beyond just uh, the caseload from what DPA is working on and beyond just the issues that DPA is un uncovering and validating if we had more access to the information um, that, as you already articulated, should have been provided or should exist in some of those unit orders and requirements from the department already.
Great. Thank you, Director Anderson. Uh, seeing no other names in the queue, Sergeant, could you take us to public comment? For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item 5, the DPA Director's Report, please approach the podium. I'm new to this and I was just listening to what you were saying and like I wouldn't presume somebody's pronouns, I wouldn't presume somebody's anything. So I'm wondering if it just, is it not policy or appropriate or I mean I don't know, for the police officer to ask the person's race as opposed to trying to guess it and put it down and then get it wrong? I'm just, you know, because I wouldn't know, I wouldn't presume to know what anybody's race actually is. So I'm just curious if that actually could be helpful in asking the police to just ask, like they ask for many things. I have asked the same question. I, I know that we will be agendizing this uh, because there is a way to reconcile this information, right? And we know that that Ripper report has been very skewed, to say the least. And this article that I haven't read apparently uh, also substantiates, underscores this. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping we agendize this ASAP. But to answer your question, there's nothing in San Francisco that prohibits us from having an officer ask an individual to self-report their own ethnicity or race. And there is no further public comment. Line item six, commission reports, discussion and possible action. Commission reports will be limited to a brief description of activities and announcements. Commission discussion will be limited to determining whether to calendar any of the issues raised for a future commission meeting. Commission president's report, commissioner's reports, and commission announcements and scheduling of items <clears throat> identified for consideration at a future commission meeting. Commissioner Walker. To understand what happens um, in those events and and really get how intense those things are so I really appreciated that um, I also uh, was invited to the to a meeting in the Tenderloin specifically about it with some of the community members and Chief Scott um, people really appreciate being there it's really traumatic uh, for folks to go through that our officers as well as the public and um, you know, it just really helps for us to have these conversations. So I really appreciate the outreach you all are doing, not just in the Tenderloin, but I think in every district. The more that we can meet, you know, I know that we've we've gotten requests from the public to um, open up public comment um, online again, but I think a better solution would be to meet out in the neighborhoods. Um, so I really want to encourage us sometimes to schedule meetings out in the neighborhoods, especially neighborhoods that are having issues so that we can be out there and people can, we can hear people. Um, I'm happy to, to help with that. Um, I know it's kind of a hassle, but I think a, a, a few times a year it would really be nice to be able to meet. Um, 
I've also been meeting, as I said, with a group of folks who are looking at um, the 3030 commitment. Um, we, we had a really interesting conversation today with state um, and national um, child care program um, folks who are working, especially with the state, on some pilot programs in San Diego and Los Angeles, and they would love to include our city to be able to um, offer child care to our officers. I, I think it would be really helpful, uh, especially so many are, are working overtime. I think it's, it's a hard situation, but, um, you know, we asked, we asked to, we have some action items around finding potential locations near our stations. Um, I, I suggested looking into some of these um, retail stores that are empty that maybe if we can get some long-term commitments, it might be good to have childcare facilities um, in our neighborhood uh, commercial areas. Um, I think that there's a lot that people are, are really doing statewide on this issue, so I'll report back. Um, also, we were scheduled for another uh, meeting with the city attorney and um, AC Lazar on um, the patrol specials, just getting up to date on all the, the current status and legal advising. And uh, we're preparing to have a presentation at the commission next week just to sort of bring it all together to talk about what we're thinking and, and what the department is thinking. I think that the community is um, supportive of these when they've had uh, patrol special um, beats and officers that work well with our with our officers in our department so i think it would be helpful if we can have a discussion at the commission level so i appreciate it all the work we've done i know that it it's been a it's been a long research project to to get clear on what's happening so i really appreciate that so thank you thank you commissioner benedicto Thank you, Mr. President. Um, a couple of things. First, I would like to echo what um, the Acting Chief and Commissioner Yee and Director Henderson said to the woman who spoke today. Uh, thank you for your, your candor and your courage in talking to us. And um, you know, this is uh, a body that sometimes has many different views on most different issues, but I can tell you that we uh, unequivocally and all believe that what, what happened to you and these kinds of acts are unacceptable. Um, they have no place in our city. They have no place in our society, in our country. Um, as, as the son of immigrants who fled a repressive regime to come here um, and have themselves faced their share of discrimination, uh, thank you for, for coming out tonight. And I, I'm glad that ho hopefully some of the resources made available to you will help, uh, but thank you for that. <clears throat> Um, I had to, uh, recently as our, the commission audit liaison, I had to reschedule our, our regular meeting with DPA's audit uh, chief, Steve Flaherty, but that should be rescheduled and I'll report back to the commission when that happens. Um, I also had a conversation with the department on implementing some of the audit recommendations from prior audits, particularly in the area of the audit about some of the IT and technology issues, which I think are some low-hanging fruit that we can uh, knock out. I'm going to resume those conversations with the department now that we're back uh, from recess. Um, like a number of, of commissioners and members of the public, I also read the story in, in the standard about the officer um, and the, the potential misreporting of race data. Um, while I know we can't get into the specific uh, facts of the case, the, this is not the first department of the country where misreporting of race data has now been seen, and I think it's been noted by Director Henderson, by uh, Commissioner Yanez, by President Carter Oberstone, that 
this is a really serious issue. We are a policy-making body and can only make good policy if we are presented with good and reliable data and when there are implications that, that there might be threats to the integrity of that data, those should be taken very seriously so we can continue our policy and oversight role. Uh, recognizing that that article you know, just came out today, I, I don't expect for there to be a plan, but I would like to agendize for the future um, to see if the department can come up with uh, an action plan on how to deal with the larger systemic issue of ensuring that we're doing a good job when, uh, and preventing any issues when it comes to misreporting of data, because we are seeing that, again, in that story, but as well as in a number of other departments. Uh, so I want to make sure we're, we're getting ahead of that. Thank you. Commissioner Yee. Thank you very much there, uh, Chair Carter. With some. I just want to echo what uh, Commissioner Deborah Walker said about the officer involved shooting. It was, uh, it was very um, helpful for the community to see what happened. Uh, I guess through that uh, video that I did see, it was the final uh, video clip that was provided by, uh, I guess, the residents up on top where you had a top view of what really happened on that officer shooting. Because on the ground floor, you just seen this what's coming towards you at that time. But on the elevation video, uh, you, you did see that knife come out. It was, wasn't just a, a regular knife, it was a honey knife. Uh, he was coming toward <laughs> the officers. I, I know this person needed help. It's very tragic that it happened. I wish we could have done it handle it differently, but it is what it is. So I want to thank the officer for, you know, their commitment of public safety. Um, this one also uh, report out that uh, Commissioner Burns and myself and uh, Acting Chief David Lazar attended the 75th uh, annual uh, fire police and sheriff mass. Uh, just want to give uh, condolence and tribute to the officers retirees that did pass and uh, I say I guess blessed officers and keeping them safe going forward so uh, that ends my report thank you Commissioner Yanez thank you <clears throat> Acting President Carter Oblestone a quick report I do want to um, just clarify that last week I was out um, and wasn't able to give a proper update on certain items just because I wasn't in a good place, but I am in a better place today. And with regards to our investigative social media uh, working group, I know Janelle did a great job of um, kind of summarizing some of the issues that have uh, been raised by our stakeholders in the various areas that we're uh, working with. We have people over at Cal Berkeley, at Stanford, at the Brennan Center. We, we've got all hands on deck. The Public Defender's Office has already submitted their uh, recommendations and they are uh, you know, pretty lengthy. Uh, but I wanna clarify that we did request and obtain a, an extension to complete the work around social media. Janelle indicated that it, it was a hard line of December, but we actually did not wanna create a timeline with a finite date at this point, just because there is a lot to sift through as far as the myriad recommendations that are being uh, provided by the different groups. So just wanted to uh, provide that update. And uh, I'm also working with some uh, community partners on the pre-booking diversion um, effort to 
try to identify the best direction to take with that. And uh, a group of folks that came and presented or spoke during the Hillbomb presentation um, reached out to, to try to create an opportunity for the department to uh, incorporate some community best practices around youth development. And I really hope that the department takes this group up on their offer and that we can create some opportunities for them to contribute uh, and collaborate, which will actually you know, facilitate better community policing outcomes. Uh, the other uh, thing that I've been working on is uh, around identifying how we can work with the juvenile probation department to ensure that we are coordinating our efforts both with the diversion that is in place right now with the community assessment and referral center so that we can uh, set the groundwork for a pre-trial sorry pre-booking diversion program so those are my updates for today I do want to agendize I know that the the RIPA data collection um, seems to already have been agendized, but considering some of the comments that have been made and um, the ongoing challenges that we have with both recruitment and increasing our policing staffing, um, I'd like to uh, agendize uh, the sojourn investment uh, because I believe we're on year three, and from what I understand today, we have 70 officers away uh, for probably a full week when we are this short-staffed. I, I really believe that it is necessary to find out what purported or projected outcomes we have for this investment in Sojourn because if we have 70 officers away, you know, a couple of times a year, I, I, I don't necessarily feel that considering the staffing shortages and challenges that it's the best use of our resources right now. So I'd like to schedule a presentation to, to find out what exactly um, the tangible outcomes have been considering that report that said that, you know, the discrepancies and disproportionate minority impacts are, are still increasing. Um, so that, that's my uh, agenda item and my report. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Assistant Chief Lazar. Yes, thank you very much. So, um, Commissioner Yanez, just for clarification. So, we do have a sojourn trip taking place. There are not 70 officers on the trip. There's probably around 70 people, but there's many folks from the community, from, from all over the city. There's other city government people, people from the nonprofit. I don't have the exact number of officers. Um, I am grateful that you and I were on a sojourn trip together and learned, personally speaking, I learned a lot about American history and a lot about the history and policing in hopes to really educate our members and the public about uh, that history and how we can be better in policing. So we'll get you the exact number, but there's not 70 officers that have left the city. Uh, it's a much, much, much smaller number. And we feel like when we bring the community with us, we just have that much better of an experience like the experience we had. So thank you. Thank you. Um, just one update for me. Uh, last week, the commission approved revisions to DGO 5.01 to set out clear standards for when officers could preemptively or proactively deploy spike strips. Um, the whole commission supported it. and. Um, want to thank once again Commissioner Benedicto, um, Lieutenant Jonas, and Janelle Kaywood for their work on that. 
Uh, and we, we also learned how effective de preemptive deployment is as a tool. Um, we were told in the latest 15-month period there were 46 preemptive deployments, which resulted in 82 arrests, roughly 360 cases closed, 31 firearms recovered, including four assault rifles, um, and the only negative was one relatively minor injury. Uh, so while I certainly support the revisions that will set out clear standards for when we can use them, uh, what I don't support is I don't support SFPD's decision to unilaterally suspend the, the preemptive use of spike strips pending the revision of 5.01, um, as I said last week. I don't think that it was necessary to suspend the use pending the revision. I, I don't think that there's anything in the current policy that prohibits it. And so next week, I'm going to introduce a resolution that will interpret our current policies to permit the preemptive use of spike strips. Um, this will allow officers to resume using spike strips preemptively immediately upon the passage of the resolution, and they won't have to wait for the multi-month uh, meet and confer process. Um, and then for the commission to vote on it again, and then typically there's another delay for training. Um, so uh, just wanted to let the community know and let officers know that I, I spoke with uh, Assistant Chief Lazar, and he, he, he assured me that the, the department would support this resolution, and so I'm hopeful that my colleagues will as well, and just wanted to let officers know that hopefully, uh, you know, next week, this time at 530, they can start using spike strips preemptively again. Sergeant, can you take us to public comment? For members of the public would like to make public comment regarding line item six, commission reports, please approach the podium. And there is no public comment. Line item seven, presentation and introduction of DPA's fall interns and internship program. Discussion. Good evening, active, uh, Acting President Carter Oberstone, Police Commissioners, A.C. Lazar, Executive Director Henderson, members of our community and members of our community watching and listening at home. Um, I would like to, my name is Tanetta Rockumore Thompson. I'm a lawyer and the Director of Recruitment for the Department of Police Accountability. It is an honor and privilege to be before you tonight to present to you our fabulous Summer 2023 Law and Justice Cohort. This has been our largest cohort. You saw us in the beginning of the summer. We are now down to one representing our summer cohort and one representing our fall. This is Madison Donahue-Wolf and I I will say that she is the current managing editor of the USF Law Review. I want to give her those props <laughs> right now. And our incoming fall intern, uh, law clerk, uh, Hannah Hutton, who will be joining us next week. Um, and I'm just so delighted to present this program. Um, if we can cue up the uh, intro slides, please. 
This summer, we had a 10-week professional development program, roughly from June to August, uh, and roughly about 75% of those interns were funded, and the majority of that is through Mayor Breed's Opportunities for All program, which we could not have made possible if we did not have that resource. We had 23 interns, again, our largest cohort. 50% of them were law students, and 50% undergraduate and I am proud to say that 87% were underrepresented minority but that's just not all that we had in our program we wanted to have a diversity pipeline to bring back to the city, which is why we expose them to the various public and private sectors that we all intersect and work with as a San Francisco agency. So we were looking and we were intentional with our recruitment this past year. We went to the HBCUs using our own personal funds so we can get that diverse applicant. We looked internally, we went through opportunities for all. We eliminated some of those factors that may have been barriers for some students to apply for because we wanted that student, because we know that it's more than what our standardized tests will bring, what it's, what's more than what your GPA will bring, that systematic racism has hindered and made a challenge throughout the years. We have students that are not only diverse from racial and ethnic backgrounds, but also socioeconomic, first generation, out of state, you know, immigrant um, immigrant resources, you know, uh, women, you know, um, LGBTQ plus, all of those were represented in this internship program and I cannot be absolutely more proud of them. We actually, with the help of Opportunities for All and Dr. Davis of the Human Rights Commission, uh, provided transportation and housing at USF for eight weeks. We collaborated with 10 city departments, which made this program even more outstanding, which included DHR, OCII, District 10, uh, Housing uh, Authority, um, SFDA's office, Juvenile Probation, Office of Cannabis, Arts Commission, Department on the Status of Women, and of course, DPA. We had 12 field trips and activities, again, intersecting the public and private sector, and 22 guest speakers from the public and private sector, which all made for an amazing program. It was impacted. It was not only a lot of work, but it was also a lot of fun, and we wanted to expose them to San Francisco to let them know what we have to offer here because one day we want them to come back. We want them to be part of our community and we want them to be part of the city and county of San Francisco. And this also was a huge part of our racial equity and our racial equity action plan because of the diversity that we brought and the diversity that we brought to these 10 city agencies as well. Again, we were very intentional and we wanted to show that and we wanted to highlight that. Again, this program would not be made possible without Dr. Davis, Sarah Williams, and Terry Jones, and Opportunities for All, JCYC, Mayor Breed, and Opportunities for All, our own Executive Director, Paul David Henderson, for giving us the vision and for supporting it throughout, our entire executive staff, every person at DPA, our operations unit, 
our mentors at DPA. We were able to provide all 23 students with mentors at DPA. And, you know, we're a small agency, but we were able to have them double up, you know, maybe two or three, but we wanted them to have that so they can see what DPA is like, what we do. And, you know, it just wasn't lawyers who were mentors. We had it from every level. We had our investigators, our senior investigators, our um, our audit division, our mediation uh, unit. You know, all of, our all of our units came together to make this a memorable summer for these young people who I have now, are officially my 23 other children in addition to my one son. So again, uh, and of course, our amazing public service aide and intern coordinator, Kieran Turner. Without her, this wouldn't be possible. And so with that, I present to you what they've been working on so hard for is our um, our presentation of a policy recommendation that they do every year as part of being part of DPA's cohort. And here we have them. internship experience has definitely helped us with our professional development and we are confident that many of our skills and knowledge we've gained this summer will be used in our careers no matter the path we all take down the road. We will now begin introductions. And we have Fabian, Wesley, Jeremiah, I'm just mentioning a few, it's kind of slide, but you see the logos on the side are each of their agencies that they were housed at. <laughs> and we took, um, as part of their professional development, we took uh, headshots. During too. this internship, we had an HBCU cohort. There were students from Morehouse and Howard University that received funding and housing thanks to Opportunities for All. This summer, we were all placed at the Department of Police Accountability, which is an oversight agency led by Executive Director Paul David Henderson. DPA investigates complaints filed against San Francisco police officers and conducts audits of police department practices. Additionally, DPA proposes changes to existing policy as well as recommends new policy to both the Police Commission and SFPD. Collectively, the DPA staff works to ensure that city law enforcement follows their practices and operates with the goal of improving all interactions and all interactions between officers and the public. We were only a small portion of the many interns that spent their summer at DPA. The group as a whole was a mix of law students and undergrads, including students from all over the country. We spent our time aiding DPA staff in varying capacities, <coughs> as well as visiting and hearing from speakers in every corner of the legal field. Before we move on, we would like to acknowledge and recognize Dr. Cheryl Davis, who is the Executive Director of the City's Human Rights Commission. It is with her work and contributions that made funding for this internship for roughly half of our interns possible through Opportunities for All. Thank you so much, Dr. Davis. 
And these were some of their favorite intern moments, especially when they got to go to a working group session on a department general order and participate. They were very excited. Look, they were very excited about it. I was that. at that one. I'm just happy yeah. they didn't fall asleep. Yeah, no, that look, that was. It made the highlights. It's, it's a highlight. It made the highlights. <laughs> this summer, our cohort read and analyzed bias, uncovering the hidden prejudice that shapes what we see, think, and do by Dr. Jennifer Evanhart. In this book, she defines implicit bias as a kind of distorting lens that has the power to bias our perception, our attention, our memory, and our actions, all despite our conscious awareness or deliberate intentions. Her book guided our weekly group discussions and helped inspire our policy proposal that we will present to you today. The next two slides discuss how implicit bias manifests in forms like cross-racial bias and Dr. Eberhardt's example of implicit bias through a case study of Airbnb. Pursuant to our summer research and DPA findings, our intern cohort has created a policy proposal regarding officer-witness interactions, which will attempt to reduce implicit bias. Currently, the SFPD does not have a comprehensive policy for officer-witness interactions. The closest DGOs focus on interactions with people from specific populations who are not necessarily witnesses. DPA has received numerous complaints regarding how SFPD conducts witness procedures. These include making witnesses wait too long at stations before giving their statements, not having visitor logs to keep track of how long witnesses wait, and not taking statements from witnesses because the officers decided the witness will provide evidentiary value. We believe that a comprehensive officer witness DGO may fix this disconnect with the community as well as address implicit biases that affect witness identifications. We suggest that SFPD implement the following recommendations on procedural regulations and community outreach and education. Procedural regulations. We recommend two approaches to improving SFPD's proceedings surrounding officer-witness interactions. One, by utilizing the universal color complexion chart, which consists of varying skin tones covering the spectrum of human coloring. This color spectrum will combat the single race category, which often is over relied upon by law enforcement and fuels inaccuracy in witness statements. Two, we recommend implementing eyewitness identification procedures, such as the pre-administration instruction, which notifies witnesses the suspect may not be present in the lineup and informs them that I don't know is an appropriate response, as well as sequential lineups, which encourage the witness to compare individuals to their own description of the suspect instead of comparing individuals to each other. Outreach and education. To further mitigate implicit bias through community policing, we recommend that SFPD implements a community awareness campaign for reporting suspects or suspicious activity. This can look like training officers to ask a standardized series of questions to elicit responses about specific suspect characteristics and promoting community outreach to educate the public on descriptor training using specific adjectives to describe suspects or specific behavior. Lastly, we recommend that the SFPD create a how-to page on their website that outlines specific ways witnesses can effectively describe suspects or suspicious activity. These are just some low-effort, high-impact ways to mitigate implicit bias and increase witness accuracy and suspect identification. Thank you for your time and attention, and we hope you have enjoyed our presentation. <laughs> Thank you.
I just want to say I'm so proud. I know they're watching wherever they are. Some are back on the East Coast at Howard. We did have a HBCU cohort and at Morehouse College. The first time we've ever done that, the first time that it's actually been done in the city strategically to have the HBCU cohort. We're so proud of that. This is totally their own work. They did everything. We just, you know, made sure that it was in the parameters and within the guidelines. Um, but I just want to say I'm so proud of the work that these young people did over the summer. They really, they were, um, you know, we wanted them to bond. We wanted them to interact. And we wanted them to put forth a product that they know that could make a difference in using the tools that they had around them. So thank you so much for your time. Director Henderson. Great. I just uh, thank you so much, uh, and thank you all for your attention with this. We really put a lot of work uh, into the program, not just through the summer, but through the year as well. But I just really want to com comment on uh, the intentionality uh, reflected in the diversity of the program that we've put together that goes beyond just DPA and expands into all of these partner agencies that heretofore would not have access either to the students and the interns, but also would not have as broad a pipeline that is intentional about diversity uh, as we do now have with this program. And it does take a village, but I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge and congratulate uh, Tanetta for doing so much of the labor and the work to both build out the program and manage the program on a day-to-day -day basis, both in taking out her personal time, uh, using her vacation days, spending her evenings and weekends, uh, both in building out the relationships and making sure that the program gets done and executed well, as well as uh, Kieran Turner this summer. I, we wouldn't be here without their leadership that spills over and is directly focused on these young people that I believe were greatly improved. We've talked about some of the highlights from the program. I hope you all uh, can appreciate so many of the things that are built into this program that go beyond a typical internship program. Uh, and I think you see the results of that effort and what gets reflected to the commission in terms of them actually generating uh, concrete and solid ideas that I think are valid and helpful for the work that we're doing. It's not lost on me that the presentation that was made tonight in making a recommendation about a witness-specific DGO is a particularly good one. Oh, did I not have my microphone on? That's all right, I'm just keep talking. Thank you. Uh, that speaks specifically not just to some of the issues that were raised in public comment today in terms of how folks are treated uh, when they're interacting with uh, law enforcement, but also directly addresses some of the race clarifications that I think were raised uh, on some of our, some of the issues that we've already been discussing. So I'd love to make sure that we have a follow-up and we take steps uh, to address uh, a witness-specific DGO as recommended by uh, the summer interns that are here. And I thank you all, thank you all for your attention, but thank you all uh, those voices that aren't here that you saw reflected uh, in the slide that have been supportive of the work. It really is not just impactful, but meaningful to all of us doing the work to have folks working side by side with us. And so thank you once again. Commissioner Benedicto. Thank you. <clears throat> thank you, Mr. President. I also want to echo what Director Henderson said. And thank you tonight. And thank you to Karen Turner. And thank you to the interns, both uh, that are here and that are, uh, that are watching. 
Um, I, it was a privilege to come to go down to DBA and speak to them this summer. Um, and you know, for those that, that are watching, know that the last uh, couple of presentations have translated directly to uh, commission resolutions and commission uh, changes to department general orders. So the work you did, uh, in addition to being exemplary in its own right, will actually help contribute to uh, make the city and county of San Francisco uh, better and to make our policing more transparent and accountable and fair. So thank you so much for, for your hard work. Thank you so much. Commissioner Walker. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, the, the work that you do, all of you, all of you interns and the, the mentors, um, not just for DPA and the police commission and the police department, but for all, for all of our agencies, our partner agencies, it's so important. Um, I had a great opportunity. I was uh, going to a community art event and ran into one of your interns, uh, and we had just an amazing discussion about policing. And I, of course, handed him a join, join SFPD because I, was, I said, we need police officers like you from the community. So I will say that to anyone listening who is in the intern class, please consider, please consider a career in law enforcement. We need you. We need you because the training here, I'm, it is ironic, we were just talking about some of these things and this, you know, having, having a, a witness DGO that includes things of a chart around, you know, it, it sort of Skin helps yes. train people to, uh, to deal with this issue we, we were talking about, about mis, mischaracterizing race when they're stopping. I mean, helping train around that issue will help learn around that issue. So. Um, it's really, it is just ironic, maybe it isn't <laughs> ironic, but um, thank you very much for this. You know, it's heartening, and I really appreciate it, all of you and all of you interns. I'd also like to thank all the interns, uh, both those present and those watching, um, for their service to our city. Uh, many of them traveled far from home. They, they could have interned somewhere closer. They could have interned somewhere with more generous compensation packages, <laughs> but they chose to spend the summer with us. Um, and as Commissioner Benedicto said, um, the, the interns have a, a long track record of making recommendations that are ultimately adopted. So their, their hard work and um, for, for little pay will not be for naught, uh, and I imagine this year's class will be no different. I also want to thank uh, Ms. Thompson for all of your hard work to make this program what it is, to make it um, an incredible experience for the interns and also um, make it something that results in such excellent work product consistently that the commission uh, adopts. So thank you. Sergeant, can we go to public comment? For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item seven, please approach the podium. And there is no public comment. Again, thank you for your continued support, commissioners. Absolutely. Line item eight, SFPD's Firearm Discharge Review Board Report and In-Custody Death Re Board Report, second quarter 2023 discussion. Good evening, uh, Commissioner Carter Oberstone, Commissioners, uh, Director Henderson and uh, AC Lazar. Um, Deputy Chief Peter Walsh, um, I am the Deputy Chief of Administration, I'm gonna be presenting the uh, Firearms uh, Discharge Review Board report along with the in-custody 
death review report. So it's um, for the second quarter of 2023, there's only two incidents uh, for the Firearm Discharge Review Board, OIS 22004 and OIS 22002. I will start with 22004. I'm not going to read verbatim. I'll give you an overview. Um, I believe everybody has a copy. Uh, this case was actually involving an SFPD officer who was under uh, investigation, and there was a service of a search warrant that took place on June 15th, 2022. ISD investigators who handle these matters responded to the officer's residence uh, with his personal attorney uh, in order to have an easy um, way of getting into the home and negotiating uh, the search. The ISD members maintained surveillance at that case. Um, at some point, there was no response uh, after an initial contact had been made. The attorney went in, uh, and at that time, the uh, discharge took place, and the officer suffered a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Obviously, in this case, the investigation found that, uh, unfortunately, due to department regulations, that's obviously not a case where uh, the discharge of a firearm is within policy, and that recommendation has gone to the chief as not in policy. Moving to the next case, officer involved shooting 22002. Uh, this case actually took place outside of San Francisco over in Contra Costa County uh, in Concord. It happened on April 15th uh, of last year. The officer was off duty at the time and was uh, awakened uh, by uh, numerous uh, shouts and then what he thought to be shooting. He went to the window and saw his son uh, being fired upon by an unknown assailant. The officer, uh, in order to protect the life of his son, fired upon the assailant. It is unknown whether or not that assailant was hit. Uh, there was no um, information or any evidence to show that that person was hit uh, at, that, at that location. Contra Costa Sheriff's investigators and the DA investigators, uh, DA's office handled that case. Um, in regards to this, obviously the officer was uh, we're making the recommendation to the chief that uh, the general rules of conduct were in policy. The use of force, specifically why the FDRB was here, was voted on in policy, and the recommendation uh, that the actual investigation of that um, officer-involved shooting was in policy. And that is it for the report. There were no in custody deaths during that quarter for this review. Um, I do want to point out one thing um, for, I believe the commission is aware, um, but general, or excuse me, department notice 23143 did come out uh, on uh, September 8th, and that now enlists formally the training division 
uh, within FDRB to help review the tactics and the um, uh, actions of officers. They have been there in a non-formal way. They're invited outside of what you see in the current general order. And this general order is uh, 3.10 uh, and it is uh, under revision at, at this time. I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Deputy Chief Walsh. Uh, that last statement that you made, I just wanted to ask you about the training division being included going forward during the review board deliberations. Was that specifically in response to the, the officer who, who took his own life? No, this had been in the works. That If you look at the old policy, it's a very, who's listed, the deputy chief of administration, the commanding officer, it's very limited to really just the voting members and a couple of advisories. So this was just a formal way. It had been looked at for a while. And as the revision, as you know, is going on, that is something that uh, we've had great success outside of shootings, but using the academy and the training staff up there to teach our officers better tactics and better ways to respond all the way from simple arrests all the way to, unfortunately, officer-involved shootings. Uh, okay, I understand. Thank you for that clarification. I, I guess I, I would ask, and it was on my mind, because I recall when this was first reported in the news, um, and there were, at least in news articles, there was one in the standard, at least, um, questions posed about the way the warrant was executed in that case uh, because if I recall there was this particular officer um, was known to have I think the way it was described by one person was an unhealthy obsession with guns I think he had it he was known to have mental health issues and exhibited some erratic behavior I think he might have had a domestic violence restraining order against him is there any internal discussion about tactics when executing a warrant against an officer or a person with these kind of constellation of traits where you might have a tragic ending like this or you might be able to avoid a tragic ending like this? There is actually a formal investigation. I believe that I'm not 100% sure if that's been completed yet, but I do know within that that is being looked at. Um, <laughs> Specifically warrants, I'll bifurcate it. Uh, we do handle warrants in a certain way. Um, you may know or um, have knowledge of uh, using a threat matrix, uh, where if it hits a certain number, we change the tactics all the way up to you know executing with the SWAT team. Um, the officer involved situations, uh, this is the, I can say in my career that I know of, I've been a part of two and reporting on this one. Um, Officer-involved search warrants and arrest warrants um, are extremely complicated. And we've, I can tell you, I've, again, I've been involved. One is the lead investigator where an officer has taken his life, and a second one uh, where I was the commanding officer uh, where the officers affected an arrest and the person took their life. I don't know if we'll be able to come out with a box that we can necessarily put it in, but we're always striving that. Um, I can't speak, I don't have all the details on this case, just uh, knowing it, but I know that there is a review on how to handle these, these issues better. It is one intangible being a police officer who's subject to a search or arrest warrant uh, on a very serious criminal matter that uh, we need to concentrate on, on, on how to handle that. Thank you. And just one last question, and please only answer if it's public and you're able to answer publicly, which is, 
do, do are you able to say what the basis of the search warrant was that was being executed that day? I don't know if that search warrant's public, and I personally don't have the details of it. All right, thank you. I see no names in the queue, so Sergeant, could you please take us to public comment? Members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item eight, please approach the podium. And there is no public comment. Line item nine, public comment on all matters pertaining to item 11 below closed session, including public comment on item 10, vote whether to hold item 11 in closed session. If you'd like to make public comment, please approach the podium. And there is no public comment. Line item 10, vote on whether to hold item 11 in closed session, San Francisco Administrative Code section 67.10, action. Motion to hold the item in closed session. Second. <clears throat> On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. And Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have six yeses. We will go into closed session. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
Commissioners, we are back in open session on line item 12. Vote to elect whether to disclose any or all discussion on item 11 held in closed session. San Francisco Administrative Code section 67.12A, action. Um, I make a motion to not disclose the discussion item 11 with the exception of non-privileged factual information provided by our labor negotiator, which will be reflected in the minutes for this meeting. Second. Any member of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item 12, please approach the podium. Seeing none, on the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. And Vice President Carter Overstone? Yes. Vice President Carter Overstone is yes. You have six yeses. And for the public's information, can we clarify that item 11B was taken off calendar? Yes. Um, line item 11B was taken off calendar, will be rescheduled for a later commission meeting. Line item 13, adjournment, action.